Oh, hey there, folks. What do you know? It's the Uticast episode 303. And today, joining us live from studio, it's Chris Mandry, our recurring friend and guest. You know him as a musician, as a drummer, as a comedian, raconteur, troubadour. I'm running out of terms. Uh, so excited to have him back. We had this opportunity to have him in, and I'm just so pleased we had a chance to sit down and talk. It's been such a long time. So happy to see him. Uh, also this week, uh, we were supposed to have a surprise for you, but it kind of fell through. So we'll talk about that in a minute. But, as always, we got hot news of the week, uh, local and national, of course. We got history lessons. Uh, we got some questions about uh, Doomsday Reports. I got a little questions about the Masters. All of this, folks, so much more, as always. We are happy to have you here. I, am, of course, am your host, producer, Sam Pamelaro, joined, as always, by Kevin Sullivan. Yes. <laughs> That's up, right. Buddy? That's right. Here I am. Uh, and I'm going to level with you folks. Please. Uh, it was a long week. Mm. A lot of wrestling. I was on spring break. I had to go to the eye doctors. A lot of stuff happened this week for me. Very sure. busy. Sure. Uh, so, I had a big surprise for you guys this week, which was that Heather, our beloved Heather, mm-hmm. the third host, was supposed to be here right now. Right, she was coming back. This is the week. Heather's Today was back. the week. This was the week. Heather was back. I wasn't gonna. I was gonna surprise you all, and then uh, life happened. Cause she has a husband and a child and a life. And at the last minute, uh, she had to. She had to bail out. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so unfortunately, she's not here this week. But she will be back next week, so you can get hyped for it. And I'm gonna advertise it so more people are excited, as opposed to just springing it on people. I guess this is this is good marketing. Okay. Um. But Heather will be back next week. Mm. Couldn't I be more excited. About couldn't it. be more excited. I'm so happy. So excited. I'm with you. That being said, okay, I did essentially plot this whole week's show with like a big 10, 15 minute block. The whole, the whole first half. The whole first show. half really was just going to be at, at least. I had a segment, but it was all going to get thrown away. Uh, you know, if we ended up just chatting our way through half an hour because we hadn't seen each other in so long. Sure. Uh, and then, of course, that didn't happen. So next week we'll do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but because of that, I uh, I don't have as many stories. We're scrambling. Scrambling. We're scrambling. We're in the pocket. We're just we're calling audibles here. Calling audible. So I got some stuff for you this week, but mm. I do have a very exciting announcement this week. Okay. For the first time in over a year since Carrie Bostic, who was the last person to come into the house right before everything shut down. Mm. Uh, shout out to Carrie, by the way. She just left and moved away, so I know she's enjoying her new location. I think she's in the West Coast. Good for her. Anyway. For the first time in over a year and a half, mm-hmm. we had an actual guest in studio it's sitting true. down at the microphone to have a podcast interview with us. Mm. And I got to say, it was it was glorious. Yeah, I bet. It was I great. Bet. It was great. And I, I'm not going to sit here and do the whole, like, oh, Zoom sucks. Zoom's a great uh, technology. And boy, they really came into their own right now. Like, they're a company that everybody knows all of a sudden. Mm. Uh, it's just not the same. 
It's just not the same. Yeah, of course. It's just not. Of course. Uh, I can't guarantee that every interview going forward will be someone in studio because I don't think that no, of everyone not. will have that kind of no chance. accessibility we were lucky to have this week. Um, but maybe as things start getting better, we start seeing maybe more studio interviews, which would be nice for me. I'd like to see it again mm. when things get you know, safe, obviously. I don't want to. I don't want to rush. I want to be safe. Uh, but, but it was really, really great to have Chris in mm. studio, our good friend Chris Mandry. Indeed. All the way from the West Coast. It was great talking to him. We had a great conversation about stand-up comedy and the parallels between stand-up comedy and music, which is something that I've spent a lot of my life thinking about, especially the like, last 15 years. Sure. Uh, just great talking to him, and it's always happy to have him on. So we went like 40 minutes, I mean, maybe almost 50. So mm. a lot of a lot of conversation uh, with our old pal Chris Manders. I was very happy to have him on. He's really doing great out there, by the way. I'm yeah, so proud is. of him. Like, you know, I, I know it's always scary to go to like a just a faraway place away from all the people you know and mm-hmm. are comfortable with and do a thing. And I'm just so proud of him that he's like killing it and doing his thing and making connections and doing all sorts of cool stuff. And it's letting his natural creativity shine through. Indeed. Uh, what else? What did I have for you? Let's do, uh, so we'll get to Chris's interview in just a little bit. So should we just, you want to just do all the stuff we were going to do for Heather, but just be like, so how do you think Heather's been for the last year? Just like, you could ask me the Heather questions and I'll answer. I'll answer in her Uh, stead. I'm Heather's advocate here. We're putting a lot of pressure on Heather now to come back next (laughs) week, aren't we? Oh my gosh. It was so funny because my big plan was that Heather was going to be back. It was her first show back. And my very first question for you was going to be, how many episodes before she's not on again? I would say over under three. That's why I think it's amazing. It's a power move. I, I respect the hell out of it. I can't believe it. I hope she's just sitting there laughing. I hope she's just put one over on you this week. Oh, man. So uh, I won't um, I won't spend too much time on uh, I have some quick notes here for you. Uh, this week was WrestleMania week. It was wrestling on pretty much every day of the week. I'm not going to go into details. Excellent. I thought... I thought WrestleMania itself was very entertaining, the, mm. the two nights of it. I like the two-night format better. I know you have to commit to two nights, but it's not one giant, long, seven-hour slog like it was a couple of years ago, and it was really at the height of its like, sure, that makes sense, yeah. overbearance. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's just a lot. It was a lot of wrestling, and it really burned me out this week. Um, I will say, we had the blow-up screen on our neighbor's house to watch WrestleMania, and they had some smoked meats. Mm. And I gotta tell you kind of jealous of the smoker something yeah, i never i don't really pretty cool it's pretty cool <laughs> you should get a smoker what's the damage on a smoker nah, a couple I mean, hundo too bad. A couple, you can get a, you can get like one of those electric smokers for like a couple hundred bucks for sure now i'm sure there are people out there like electric smoker you got to get a real smoker and i'm sure that it'd those are nice yeah it'd be nice i gotta get a boat too i gotta like i don't you know what i mean <laughs> one I got, day i got one a day, life not to today leave. yeah <laughs> Uh, it's like I would like to get that one day when I've got like the space and you know I'm going to be somewhere a little more permanent I can build up a smoker but I want smoked meats like now oh yeah so like we're going to have it's like one of those things where somebody's like yeah you know I'd like to buy some drums but I'm going to wait until I can buy this $8,000 drum set and it's going to take me three years it's like I'm just going to play these ones here now yeah yeah uh, and uh, yeah I would like an electric smoke again you start off small right like when I was a kid you're not going to buy uh, a Gibson Les Paul immediately. The first guitar you ever buy. That's silly. Why would you do that? Go buy a cheap guitar and figure out if you like guitar before mm-hmm. you spend five thousand dollars on a on a one of a kind piece or something. That's sure. That's just that's just good. That's just good business. It's just doing business. Doing good business. Uh, speaking of good business, back to work full time now. Full time working man. Very excited to get back in my routine. Uh, 
And again, as I mentioned last week, I won't overbear this. Mike changes schedule of shows. Might get released a little bit later in the right. day. Whatever. It's all you get them when you get them. They come out on Tuesday. You've been cheating. Get them on Monday night. It doesn't <laughs> matter. You get them on Tuesday. You've been cheating. Get them uh, on Tuesday. I would say the biggest change for me, though. Yes. Really, more than just the job stuff, like the actual ins and outs of the job. I've had to put pants and clothing on again. Normal mm. people. Like work pants and clothing, which You're not I letting you teach in those sweatpants. No, not letting me teach in sweatpants and sweat gear the whole time. Mm. Uh, I mean, why do we do this to ourselves? So clothes are so uncomfortable. No, All these you got the, that's, that's means you got the wrong clothes. Your clothes are uncomfortable. You got the wrong clothes. No, it's not that. I think for me, because I'm too self-aware, I think going back to work clothes has really shown for me how how out of shape I've gotten. I see. Do you know what I'm saying? I'm like, oh no, now that everything is. Fitting comfortably, this is not a great, this is not a great look. So I think maybe you gotta do something about it. What do you, what do you mean you're gonna like? I'm not gonna go running again. I think I've given up on running. That's why I want to come not, around. You know what the trick is? I mean, when it comes down to it, you can do whatever you want to like run, go to the gym, but it's all just it's all just diet. diet. Yeah, it's diet. all diet. I know. I know. It's all diet. I gotta do something about diet that too. Calories and them colas. Yeah, I fucking know it. I know <laughs> it. Uh, uh, all right, so. So yeah, work clothes, work schedule. Uh, oh, here's one for you. Mm. I'm not gonna name the business, but I was driving home today from work, and I saw a sign on a business. And it opened up your eyes. It did open up my eyes. You saw, I saw the, the sign. sign. No one's gonna drag you out. Anyway, <laughs> it was a it was a law firm. I won't say which one, but it was a law firm, right? Mm. And there's a big sign on the law firm that said, "Voted number one." Best place to work in New York State. Mm-hmm. I thought about that for a really long time. Mm. And I said, how? <laughs> how could any law firm be the best place to work in any state? It's the wrong question. It's the wrong question. It's the wrong question you're asking. The right question is, by who? By who? I didn't get by a good who? look at the sign. I, I drove past the sign, you know right? I mean, I mean, but I thought... Like, unless this is a law firm where they just let you work whatever hours you want and, like, hang out and chill the whole... A law firm is a serious job. It's a hard gig and very, very intense work. I mean, I'll... yeah. Well, for the most part, you take the job is pretty serious, I think, mm. for the most part. It's not frivolous. I feel like the, the best... I think I know too many wild lawyers. <laughs> I, I, mean, I, I know, too, I like, do. literally five or six I just wild can't lawyers. imagine that the single best, number one place to work in the entire state would be a law firm in upstate New York. Again, says who? Says who? They're a billboard. Is it like law firms weekly? Like some law, maybe that, maybe if you told me that it was like a law firm specific award, mm-hmm. like best law firm to work at. Sure. Something like that. that could I, be anything. Could be anything. Yeah. Seems like a bold overstatement. I need They're to know. massaging the language. I'm going to drive, I have to drive by this place all the time. So I'm going to get, I'm going to, maybe I'll swing in and look at the sign closer. See what mm-hmm. I can do next time. There you go. Uh, all right. What else did I have for you? Okay. Oh. Uh. I want to apologize to our, our listeners and our guest uh, last week, uh, Cassandra Harris-Lockwood, uh, because I feel like the audio last week, for some reason on the Zoom, did not come out correctly. And I don't know, mm. we haven't really had this problem in the past, especially with the Zoom stuff. Yeah, yeah, a little tenuous. For whatever reason last week, something was wrong with the audio. Something I could, on our end. I could not fix it, so I'm sorry to Cassandra. I apologize mm. uh, for the listeners last week. I was probably... A, a tougher listen in terms of actual listening capabilities, yeah. Yep. So sorry about that. I, I don't know exactly what happened. I gotta do hmm. some. I gotta do some computer work on my end. So I wanted to. Yeah. I wanted to say that as well. Uh, and then also, 
I had new glasses coming in this week. It's my oh, other side one. Finally, finally, mm-hmm. I have new glasses coming in this week. Uh, glasses are a scam. I'm gonna throw that out here to you folks because my prescription has not changed. The same prescription I had two years ago. Same prescription I had a couple years ago. Mm. Right? But prescriptions only last for two years. They make you go back mm. and pay to get the new prescription, even if you don't have. I understand why, but I don't like it. Okay. So this means I had to go to an eye doctor this week. Uh-huh. It was a real pain, and I didn't like it. I hate going to the eye doctors. It's one of my least favorite things in the world. Oh, really? Well, because you have good vision. I mean, I'm kind of... I, I mean, you have better vision than me. Yes. I have to go in there, and they're like, can you see this? And I'm like, no. How about this? No. I can't see anything. Yet. Nothing. Not a thing. They're like, this? Once they get to a... <laughs> once it becomes a question, then I know I'm in trouble. I'm like, oh, God damn it. All right, so... Yes. Uh, so new glasses coming in this week. Same mm. exact pair. I didn't even try and look for a new frame. I said, to hell with it. I'm mm. just... Uh, the other one I've decided, though, because I have to go back to work, because I have to wear masks all the time, I have to get contacts again, man. Yeah, you might as well. I've been off of contacts for a long yeah, I time. I have contacts for they, a long time. I don't have a... I, there's a re, it's not that I don't like them. I have a... I get a headache after, like, five or six hours. It's, like, I... It's kind of not worth it sometimes. Mm-hmm. That's fair. Especially in the morning, if it's real sunny out, bothers my eye. I don't know. Sure. Maybe I need new contacts, I suppose, is probably it. Mm. Uh, that's it. So those are all my quick notes for the week. Kevin, what did you what'd you have going on this week? Oh, man. It's, uh, boy, this this exists in a vacuum, so it's always tough to think about the week and the way that it goes. Um, got to see my niece. That was great. Hey. She's amazing babies. I'll tell you what. Crazy stuff with the babies. Um, I got to have a nice, a couple, nice margarita or two outdoors on one of the nice days last week. It was mm-hmm. nice to be back out there. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's been a good week. Still kind of slow, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's yeah. without... You know, just kind of waiting. It's nice to get back to the decent weather. Feels like everything's waking back up. You can feel like everybody's no, like getting ready, getting back out there. I've been seeing tons of people out walking and running. Nature's healing. We talked about it a lot. Say it. Uh, hey, before I forget, I was going to bring this up. Uh, people won't be able to do this with us, but uh, tonight, as we're recording this, the Knicks, my New York Knicks, are playing your Los Angeles Lakers. Mm. Is there something we want to discuss on the pod about this, like some sort of bet or some sort of uh, prediction before next week to see who was right, who was wrong about our teams? It's the only um, time we're playing this year. I mean, I always back the Lakers, so the Lakers are going to win. So you think that your Lakers, without AD and LeBron, are going to be enough? Without AD, without LeBron. Going to be enough to get Without past. Kuzma, without Wes Matthews. That's correct. Yeah, I do. I without think, Mark Gasol. You don't think this scrappy Knicks defense, the best the best defense in the, in the Atlantic division? Doesn't mean anything, I suppose. Show it to me. <laughs> Lakers defense. <laughs> the best what? Uh, You've got the best defense on like the lower half of Manhattan. That's the best true. Defense in the West. <laughs> so yeah, uh, it is funny. I, I it is crazy how I was just saying to you before the pod. I have watched so much more basketball just because the Knicks are even halfway relevant. Yeah. Like my, it is crazy how it, it, it's how bad they've been. Uh, mm-hmm. Just to have that. Also, the Yankees are back for you, baseball fans out there. I haven't really true. baseball again. This is the end of the soccer season. The Knicks are okay right now. I'm probably not going to pay too much attention to baseball for at least a couple more weeks. Mm. Uh, but it's back. I know a lot of you people are excited for baseball. Yankees win the World Series this year? Of course. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if everything I've seen, the pitching is suspect so mm. far. Pitching is always suspect. Pitching's never not been suspect. Let's uh, let's blast through a couple local stories real here. Shout out to my alma mater. Uh, I feel bad for him, so I wanted to give him a shout out. The Utica Pioneers, after a tumultuous season full of COVID-19 testing and being away from their families, uh, won the Empire 8 Championship game, defeating 
uh, St. John Fisher, the number one seed on Sunday to earn the title. Mm. So congratulations. Shout out to them. Good for you. To my alma mater, uh, who won their first ever uh, Division III uh, or uh, Empire 8 title here. Mm. The downside, unfortunately, is there is no Division III NCAA tournament this year. So even though they won the tournament, mm. there's no like extra tournament to go into, like the, the, the big tournament. But we're still proud of you guys. Respect to the Pioneers. For and sure. That just means you got to do it again next year. Uh, also, I mentioned it, you know, back to work. Utica students, for the first time uh, this morning, will resume in-person, full-time learning for the first time in more than a year. Mm, good for them. Um, I got to tell you, from my perspective, Excuse me after it. Uh, dealing with the kids who are in the classroom today, it's we've done the best we can. Yeah. Right. Like I, that, I, I need to state that number one, and mm-hmm. I do think a lot of the technology that it's out there mm-hmm. is really impressive. Yeah, yeah. Whether it's like the all the Google platforms, all the the even just the tech stuff to make the the paperwork and all the books accessible to kids is really impressive. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it just it's not again. It's just there's something about being in the room with students that makes a big difference, mm-hmm. and uh, and I am happy for the kids, not so much for the teachers, but for the kids. Mm-hmm. Like for even, sure. for even sure, for like sure. the kids I talked to today were ecstatic to be back, like so happy. And it was good to see. I mean, I I, I worked in a high school. Kids were never happy to be in school, <laughs> right? So mm-hmm. school's still super fun when you're in elementary school. I think for kids too. You know what I mean? Well, even in high school, when I would talk to my kids about it, like they would they don't like to come because they're like busy, but they do like to come if they're going to see their friends and do stuff they like to do because that part is always fun, sure. right? Being around your peers, doing being around your people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was happy for a lot of those kids today to see everyone just sort of able to do limited being around each other. And again, mm-hmm. it's all very different. There's like screens up and everyone's wearing masks all the time. So that's all still there and we're following protocols. But even just being in the room made mm-hmm. a serviceable difference uh, with the kids' sort of engagement, which is really cool. And from everything I'm reading, uh, this was on Vox today, if people want to know, there's like a... A lot of reasons to expect that, like, going back full-time is going to happen in the fall. Which I guess is a good sign for everything yeah, going on. Yeah, makes sense. I mean, that's kind of the plan, seems like. Um, <clears throat> here's one for you. I don't eat ground turkey, but guys, if you live in Utica, there is a ground turkey alert. If you got turkey from any of these stores in central New York, there's a salmonella radar. Mm. So, gotta be careful. That's, this is why I don't buy ground turkey. Well, also because I don't like it. You salmonella and all types of shit. I know, but I don't like it. You salmonella and chicken. You buy chicken. Uh, yeah, so USDA has issued a public health alert for all turkey so- sold in several grocery stores in Utica, Rome, and all of central New York. Mm. So if you got some ground turkey in your refrigerator, you best want to check and make sure that it's uh, safe to eat. Mm. I've never really... I don't know what the process is. Do you have to go back to like Wegmans or something if you get this and like they give you more turkey? I feel like what it probably is one of those things where it's like, look, just throw it out. Well, right. No, 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 no. If you like, <laughs> if you want to come back and trade in your turkey, what does ground turkey cost? Take it's not out. expensive. Like I, I have never, I will never be the type of person who's <laughs> like going back to get my two dollars from somewhere, my four, my five, even. Like you're I, not. No, I know. I know. And I'm not. I know. But those people exist. For big time. For sure. You know I'm just saying can't relate. I used to see this in, not, not I don't remember much when I was a little kid and I worked in grocery stores, but you see it sometimes and you go into a grocery store. Mm-hmm. People who will just go around the grocery store looking for stuff that's expired mm. and then bring it to the front to like customer service and either like 
make them get rid of it or try and buy it at like a crazy discount. That's wild. It's a wild thing. And I've seen it happen. And again, this this should be a big energy award. I respect it. I wouldn't do it. I don't, I don't respect it. I, I, I do not respect it. <laughs> I respect the effort. It's disgusting behavior. No. Uh, new quick set of car news. This is local car news. Naomi's uh, new generation cars says that somebody cut out the door of a car on their lot and the owners are offering $1,000 for information leading to the suspect and the missing door. They just stole the door. Just needed a door. Just needed the door. It's off of like a Honda. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. What a, it's pretty common. It's a common car. I suppose. I only bring it up. This is where I bought my car. My they could so please don't come steal the door off my Honda. I guess is the, I, I guess they want the door to your Honda. The 2007 <laughs> Honda. No, this is like a 2018 Honda. This is also a big energy award. This could have been a big energy award candidate. Hmm. How do you even? I mean, I guess you gotta. There's probably a technique to it. I don't know. Like unscrew the door, unhinge the, the door off. Yeah, it's not hard. Yeah, probably not hard. It's not, it's not, they're not doing magic. Down here at the, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I don't know specifically what tools needed for that door, but like, yeah, you could take a door off a car pretty easy. You could take a door off a car. You think so? Yeah, it would take you, you would need to make sure you have the right tool. You'd probably have to look it up on YouTube, but you could absolutely take a door off a car. Uh, so here's another uh, car related story. Uh, this is from New Mexico. A man who went shopping in New Mexico earlier this week returned to a car filled with 15,000 honeybees who had gotten into his car during. An open window in the apparently 10 minutes he spent buying groceries. Mm. Uh, I can't imagine that 1,500 bees would go running to this car for no reason. And this this article on The Guardian is not saying what if there was something in the car that would lead the bees there. The queen. So, the queen got in, so you think the queen got into the car? Must have. They all just followed it there. They were looking for a new space, maybe? Yeah, I don't know. That's I couldn't you imagine coming out oh, of the store. Well, it does say the bees were likely swarming with a queen and looking for a new home, which makes them more docile and easy to handle. Uh, one guy did get stung on the lip, mm. and they made fun of him the next day, says one of the guys. Who, yeah, that's fair. I mean, yeah, wow, God, 15, that's pretty intense, 1,500 bees. Yes. I don't like bees. I'm not a fan of insects in general. I'm kind of mm-hmm. squeamish about bugs and such. Sure. I don't know why. It's one of the things I don't like. Uh, but yeah, this would give me major... I wouldn't know what to do if this happened. You mm. gotta call, like, the authorities, do you not? Yeah, you gotta call a local beekeeper. Is that a thing? You gotta call the beekeepers? You gotta call the beekeepers. You gotta call animal control? No, because they'll just come, like, spray poison at them. The bees, so you gotta get the a bees are friends. Call the no, beekeeper. I know that. They'll, they'll relocate and rehome the bees. Yeah, yeah. Well, there you go. Good to know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there you go. That's your car news for the week. Uh, sad news for the week. Uh, after a... Uh, after a two-decade-plus career beset by legal troubles, tabloid headlines, and struggles with drug addiction, uh, but also being one of the most successful uh, hardcore rappers to ever cross over on a mainstream stage, uh, rapper DMX passed away earlier this week. Uh, Kev, I gotta tell you, DMX is... Uh, I really only got into hip-hop in the era when, like, I guess What's My Name is like, the first DMX song I can ever really think of. Mm. I would imagine you probably are more adept... At talking about DMX than I was. Correct. Uh, what's your like? What's an opening thing you would think about when you first heard about this? Like, what was your first thing that comes to mind about DMX when you heard um, about? Fast I just Delay? remember the first album. The first album is Dark and Hell is Hot. It came out in '98. I was in, like seventh mm-hmm. grade, and all the people who knew the people who were a little bit like, cooler than me, knew a little more about rap than me, were like, "Yo, mm-hmm. this guy DMX." Or buying that album, and it was crazy because it's really like dark. Yeah. And he talks about, like, a lot of bleak, you know, bleak stuff and bleak issues and, you know, death and different things like that. And he's 
obviously like a pretty deeply troubled guy. You know what I mean? That's mm-hmm. no surprise. And we've heard a lot about it before. But I remember, even when I very first heard it, still it's such a singular voice. You know yeah. what I mean? Like he gets a lot of people just sort of like laugh at him now because like the barking and all that stuff. Yeah, for sure. Which like it, it, you know, it, it makes sense yeah. to laugh at a grown adult who's barking. There's no question. It's very true. <laughs> <laughs> but like. It just, the whole sound, uh, it just, in hip-hop, where so much of what people do is just, like, your voice and your delivery, mm-hmm. it's really helpful to have a very singular mm-hmm. sound and cadence, and when you listen to it, a lot of the best of all time are, you know, people who have stuff like that, where there's no mistake, and when you hear that voice come on, exactly who that is, mm-hmm. and it's crazy that a guy, you know... You know it's him just from a little yeah. like a little grunt or a little like uh, like right before or something, and uh, it would have been interesting to see what he could have done and turned out and turned into had he not been such a troubled dude. Yeah, a uh, really good write up on Rolling Stone mm-hmm. uh, today. If you want to read more about it, a uh, couple of things I couple of I'm things actually kind of touched at the outpouring uh, because I didn't mm-hmm. think that people would, I didn't think the DMX would be so fondly remembered so broadly. I just yeah, didn't I think that right. people would be yeah. as... But I mean, I guess a lot of people are at the same age. We all Our age, songs, yeah. You know what I mean? But uh, nice to see, though. Very important to help revitalizing Def Jam Records' label. Mm-hmm. Uh, he also developed a career as a film star. Movies like Belly, Romeo Must Die, Exit Wounds. A lot of films people might have seen from that particular era of the 90s. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, Kev, you, I think you put a DMX song on the, on the outro track this week, did you? I did. I think yeah. I put, it was tough trying to find one. I wanted to put something off as dark and hell is hot, because I didn't mm-hmm. want to put, like, X gonna give it to you, or y'all gonna make me lose my mind, or what's my name, DMX, or something. Um, it was hard to find one that wasn't attached to, like, a 60-minute skit about, yeah. like, doing murder. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Um, <laughs> or, like, what might happen after you do a murder, like, all sorts of wild stuff, and trying to find something that wasn't too crazy, but I put on the song, Stop Being Greedy. Which is a great song, and like a lot of people probably know mm-hmm. from the time. But like, when you go back and listen to the beat and the music, it sounds like a horror movie theme. Like it really, that first album is super yeah. dark. Like, yeah. People remember "Y'all Gonna Make Me Lose My Mind," but that first album is like a, it's like a metal album. Yes. Even though it's hip hop, you know what I mean. Like it's got more in common mm-hmm. with a lot of metal bands than I think it does a lot of hip hop at the time. So, uh, R.I.P. DMX. You will be remembered, and you will be missed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there you go, DMX. Uh, I mean, that is like a nice ending, so I'm going to skip past the... I feel like somebody else died this week. Somebody else died this week? Somebody was old. Oh, the, uh, what's his name? The Queen's husband. Prince Philip. I have something about that later. He's been dead for about ten years, and he finally realized it. (laughs) Yeah, I had something later on that, but essentially that was the story. I knew I I remember reading about somebody else dying this week. Uh, Well... Speaking of people who died this week, I did have a segment where we were going to dunk on Matt Gates, but I guess we did that last week, so we can we can move past it. Cool. Uh, but I will do, I have two big energy segments for you this week. Uh, one, it's from the New York Post, uh, just the headline, uh, former Walmart employee drives into store after getting fired. I mean, I feel like that's like something I feel like you see from a movie, right? <laughs> just, yeah. I got fired, all right, I'm coming through the door. Mm. <laughs> Uh, I feel like this is a mistake. It's a big show, very exciting. Get a news story, but you're getting charges for this. this oh, is you're going to jail. You're going to jam- damage you're for this. Property damage. Yeah, I mean, this is you're endangering people. Well, the store was closed at the time, mm. so she drove through and there was nobody theoretically in the store. I guess yeah, you can't do that. Yeah, yeah, that's frowned upon. Still, <laughs> charge of breaking and entering and assault on a uh, on a government official with a deadly weapon. I don't know where that part comes from. Big energy. Don't do that. 
Uh, and the other one, <clears throat> we talk about Yankees coming back this week, Kev, about baseball being back. Mm. It's also the first time that baseball fans have been able to voice their displeasure with the cheating uh, <laughs> Houston Astros. Oh, you'd love to see it. You'd love <laughs> uh, to see it. First, uh, and for the first time this week, that it uh, presented itself in public uh, as trash cans were thrown on the field by Anaheim Angels fans during a game against the Astros this week. Uh, the first was an inflatable trash can, which was oddly thrown when the Angels were up at bat in the bottom of the sixth. And then an actual trash can filled with garbage was thrown on the field during a Jose Altuve bat. Kevin, what are your thoughts about throwing trash cans onto the field? Um, usually. Usually. I would say. <laughs> you shouldn't be throwing it on the field. Um, in this case, I hope the Astros are never allowed to peacefully play a game and make it rain trash cans now until forever. That's what you get. You dirty your cheats. <laughs> I was told that evidence was just around the corner that the Yankees did even worse the whole time. Um, oh, did you now? You heard that? Something? And I get to see it, you know, you know, must have got got by the deep state again or something. Mm. But, um, yeah, whatever, man. I don't, like, sure. It's fun. Baseball needs funny stuff <laughs> and compelling storylines. Don't hurt anybody, but if you're just, like, throwing a plastic trash bin into the big outfield 50 feet away from the guy, yeah, it's funny. I'm into it. I prefer the inflatable one. How do these people one? get all the trash cans in the stadium? That's what I want to know. It's a great question. The inflatable one makes more sense. Mm. Inflatable trash can, you know, you sneak it and then blow it up in when you're in there, right? I didn't know an inflatable trash can was a thing. Well, I didn't know. I don't... Is that not just, like, a plastic bag? <laughs> no, I, I, I mean, I think it's actually, like, it's... It's got, like, art on it. Like, it looks like a trash can. It's not like an inflatable trash can you'd actually use. I see. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's a it's a balloon version of a Oscar the Grouch trash can, essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there you go. All right. Hey, we actually made it 28 minutes. Wow. Look at that. No stories. We somehow made it through. All right. Uh, we did a bunch of stories. We did, we did a bunch of stories. <laughs> uh, all right. Let's get to this week's interview live in person. Returning. Returning guest. Recurring guest. One of my closest... Friends and confidants for such a long time are one of our closest, one of the deepest cuts in mm. our friends, Christopher Mandry. You know, you might know him as a drummer, you might know him as a comedian, you might know him as an artist, as a, mus- as a musician, as many things. Troubadour, man about town, mm. raconteur, renaissance man, and he's here to visit us for only a couple more days. So we were lucky to get him to come in and have a conversation with us in person for the first time in over a year. Our good friend, Chris Mandry, back at the show. you this is a this is a little strange for me chris here salute by the way yes nostrovia nostrovia wow who'd you talk to that one uh grandparents polish you have polish grandparents yeah 100 percent. is mandry polish it is it's actually mondra it's M- am, <laughs> really yeah it's uh am, <laughs> i'm not making this up it's am with the a and it's got like a little hook thing underneath the mm-hmm. a mm-hmm. dry wow so I learned it. Shout out to good friend of the pod who I haven't seen in many years, Dorothy Zbukowski, 
who was the first person who introduced me to Nostrovia as a, a thing you say after drinks. Yeah. Because I, as a as a goomba, as a as an Italian, we would say salute. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Which I. It's fun and funny. Are you all Polish? Is your is your whole fifty uh, percent Polish, and then the other side is English, German, and like some other so you white European stuff. You associate with being Polish though, primarily. Uh, yeah, I've been getting a little more into the English side of things. Really? <laughs> Recently, <laughs> but perfect. it is my dad is one hundred percent Polish. So I, I always laugh about this. What you know, I am, I am fifty percent Syrian, Middle Eastern, mm-hmm. and then I'm like. 27, 30% Italian, like in some weird kind of range of Calabrian. And then like a, some assorted French and German tossed in for good measure. Irish, I think, a little there as well. Uh, but, you know, growing up with an Italian last name in Utica, San Familaro, hey, San Familaro, you know, I was Italian kid. We used to, my parents, you know, my, my dad made sausage and wine and stuff. And I always associated with the Italian side, never really associated with the Middle Eastern side. And then the minute I got to New York City, I only told people I was Middle Eastern. I'm like, I'm like, I'm, like, I'm not, I'm not Italian. Don't, don't let people. I'm not from the Jersey Shore. I'm not from Long Island. I'm, I'm a Middle Eastern from upstate New York. Just so you guys know. And I think it's funny as you. I wonder if it's an age thing, like, or you just decide to like explore other parts of your culture as you get older. I don't know. So for me, you know, I I had heard um, a little bit. So my mom had like, uh, I guess not really a genealogy study, but more of um, just like a family tree thing that was pretty common knowledge and passed down. That's cool. Um, yeah. So Willard, her side of the family, came over here. And this is, I just discovered this probably about four years ago. But um, I'm like, well, let me let me check this out. Let's see how, how deep I can go. And there's one website where I go. So I know one, the ancestor who came over from England's name was Simon Willard. And he came over here in 1641. Mm, okay. And um, wow. yeah, pretty pretty early. He actually founded Concord, Massachusetts, mm. which is where the Revolutionary wow. War started. That's amazing. Which is really that's really crazy. really cool. So when I yeah, so when I discovered this, and I'm like <laughs> the last of like 17 kids from that, or I come from the last of 17, um, and just started getting into that. It, it was it's very interesting. So I went to visit Concord and see what that's wow. about, and I, I didn't even know that that's where the the wars started. Oh, it's literally in his yeah. backyard, which is really nuts. It's wild. But um, but there's this website that you can go to. So like his name's Simon Willard. So you go to him, and then it's just like son of, and it's like this thing you can click, and you just <laughs> and you keep clicking down. It's like son of Richard Willard, son of Simon Willard, and you go down to. I got it down to. I mean, you just click. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. And uh, <laughs> it went down to like twelve hundred. Which is pretty wild. Um, I'm I'm always I never got a lot of the the deep lineage of the Middle Eastern side of my I know where we're from. We're from the Middle Eastern side of my family is from Damascus, which is like the capital area. But I do know exactly where the Italian side comes from, <laughs> and I, I I've heard this story. I can't say that it's true. My I want to say my great grandfather came to America from Calabria, the toe of Italy that kicks Sicily. In case you're curious, uh, and he left his family there and was like, I will go to America and I will get a job and I'll send back money and then I will bring you to America. And then he got here and was like, nah, 
I think I'm just going to start my own thing here. And that's us. So I'm always terrified that, like, if I go back to Calabria, if I go to the Nicastro section of Calabria, and they're like, who are you? And I'm like, I'm Famolaro, that I'm going to get, like, chased out of the town with, like, pitchforks and torches, like Frankenstein. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I think there's some controversy. We're still waiting for the money. Yeah, where's the money, Famolaro? <laughs> yeah. Sends uh, a letter just says, I'm dead. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Famolaro's right. not here. Uh, for, I'm sure folks have been able to pick up by our discussion and by the audio quality that you are in the room with me, yeah. here in the room, and I gotta congratulate you. Congratulations, Chris! For the first time in over a year, over a year of this podcast, I actually have somebody in the room, nice. physically with me. You're wow. the first person in over a year who isn't on Zoom, and it's so nice to look at you and see your face and react in real time to something. It's really nice. <laughs> it's uh, it's a pleasure to be here. There's nothing like a couple hot bodies of uh, <laughs> energy. Can you tell we're drinking? Within, yeah, a couple <laughs> feet of each other. Uh, so, you are in town just to see your family, I would imagine. You didn't come in for any particular reason, did you? Just just to hang out with the fam, see the parents and stuff? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I had to take care of some stuff. Uh, just, yeah, I had to take care of some stuff here, some family stuff. And, uh, yeah, see the see friends, that kind of a thing. You know, it's uh, the only time I've really been back for any significant amount of time is when my grandmother passed away. Oh, so, yeah. it's just kind of, mm-hmm. you know... It's nice to come with to be able to just um, talk to people and not have that, however sweet it was, not have people be like, oh, I heard about this thing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's not there's there's not a negative context with it. It's just being able to enjoy people and and company. Um, well, it's been really great, and I'm I'm happy that we have had a chance to see each other even as much as we have. I know you've been really busy. Uh, so let me let me hit you up with a couple questions here. As a man who lived in uh, a different city, big giant city on the east coast for me, for long time and then come back to visit my parents and come back to do stuff for holidays you know over the the seven years i was down there there were varying levels of how excited i was to come home sometimes i was not excited to come home sometimes i was very excited to come home uh how do you feel as you get toward the end of your stay are you are you ready to go back to los angeles or are you like hey this isn't so bad here i forgot there are a few things where are you where are you falling in that spectrum um i'm i'm Cool if I were to stay here, but uh, you know I'm I'm definitely looking forward to to getting back. My life has been very, yeah. I mean a little bit. I just know that there's it's it's been very busy for me. I, I've been yeah. very lucky that I've been able to work overtime and I've got mm-hmm. these different creative uh, things that I've been that I've been doing. But it's also been a lot. So it's nice to to come here and just kind of slow things down a little bit even though it was actually very busy um yeah but it's a different kind of busy up here it's like it's event busy you, you're busy right. doing things that you want to do right like it's fun stuff right, for right, the most right. part i right. imagine yes and seeing people i haven't seen in a, yeah. in a very long time from friends to my sister and, and nieces and nephews and that kind of thing um but no i am i am looking forward to getting back i like the action i like the i like the pace of stuff i like um you know the amount of stuff that you can buy and sell there is fascinating to me well you know it's funny too like when i used to come visit utica when i was living in in brooklyn i would have like about a five-day window and by that fourth or fifth day i'm starting getting like "Ah, i got the itch i gotta get back to work i gotta get back to like my 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 grind and the vibe and now now that i've moved back and i'm you know settled in up here a little bit more when i go visit new york it's been a while. I only have about three or four days before I start getting antsy. I'm like, all right, this is great. I'm having a great time. But I got to go back to where all my stuff and my cat and my couch and TV and all the, my car is. <laughs> so, like, I get, right. so I, I wonder, like, 
I don't know. Maybe that's just me getting old, and I'm like, I'm afraid to be away from my stuff. <laughs> right. <laughs> anything else? Did you have a good time golfing at least? Oh, I yeah, I had a great time. Yeah, I'm that surprised was, you don't golf much out there. That was a blast. Yeah, I don't have clubs, and really, you know, I'm just kind of. Uh, it, it, there's just so much always. I feel like that. I, I can be doing because I'm trying different things and comedy and music and mm. you know if there's any kind of acting things but also working full time and uh, so it's there's not a lot of time uh, for that I should make some time up. well you it's funny that you you brought up kind of my next sort of point here you know uh, I always I'm a teacher now right I work in education I've been working in education for almost 10 years now kind of accidentally right and just doing different things all over the place it's been a very long time since I've picked up a guitar for money or for profession, not just me and Kevin goofing around. And yet somehow in my head, I always still consider myself like a musician. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm a musician. I'm a punk rocker. Back in my... With all the stuff that you do now, you're doing the stand-up comedy, you're doing stuff at the music shop. We'll talk a little bit about the acting and the Green Jellovision stuff later, <laughs> but do you still like consider yourself first and foremost a drummer or do you feel like you've expanded out? It's a tough question. An existential question. Yeah. Um... <laughs> It's, you know, it's interesting because I'm always a drummer, whether I'm a drummer first Mm -hmm. or whether I've ever been a drummer Mm -hmm. first is an interesting thing because sometimes I feel like being, uh, it sounds kind of crazy, but sometimes it's almost like I'm an actor who's acting like this role. When I do the best at drums, especially performance-wise or even practicing, I'm acting like I'm in front of this crowd or like I'm in Metallica in my mind, you know? but the, so here's something that I'm finally starting to feel comfortable with is that like I would go to the comedy store and uh, they'd be like, you know, you could basically get in for free for certain events if you or be seated mm-hmm. in a different place if you tell them that you're a comedian. Yeah. And I didn't really feel comfortable doing that because I'm like, who am I to give myself that title? Yeah. Well, I guess it, who else would give it to you, though? Right. Well, exactly. <laughs> it's a great point. Right. And that's what, and it it is, you know, you don't necessarily want to be validated by other people, but at the same time, like, it, that is what it kind of, it came from, for me, where people started kind of treating me like, oh, you're, you're doing stand-up, like, maybe it's not, you know, the greatest thing in the world, but at the same time, you are doing it, and you are getting up there, and you, you get, when you start getting respect from other comedians, I think for me, that's when it was like... Okay, I, I am a stand-up comedian, and it is okay now. I do feel more comfortable for being able to say that. Well, you're you're a great person to ask about this, and it's something, uh, you know, when I was living in Brooklyn, I was really close with, I've talked to him before on the pod, our good friend Anthony O'Connell, who uh, you should follow on um, on all his platforms, I'll send it all later, but he was a stand-up comedian, he sort of moved his way into like doing food, blogging, Instagram stuff, and he's really funny, but... I used to follow him around back in the day. We were buddies and we'd go to comedy clubs. Mm-hmm. And one of the things we would talk about is like the difference between like being a musician and being a comedian. Mm-hmm. And um, and one of the things I always said to him, I was like, you know, for me as a singer, when I was a young, young man singing, playing punk bands, if I didn't feel great about something I was doing, I could kind of fade into the background. I could sing a little bit. I could back off on the guitar. I could coast back into the other people in the band. It was sort of a project. But with comedy, there is that sort of, there is no shield. There is that, there's no drum set in front of you where at the end of the day, if your joke doesn't hit, you can go, well, I know there's something I can do that people will always, like, be impressed with. So, was that a weird transition to, like, losing that safety net of having the instrument in front of you as opposed to just 
you and your your brain? Uh. No, I think I put a lot on myself too. Even like when I'm playing drums, uh, mm-hmm. uh, I really, uh, I'm very focused on on how I'm, I'm presenting myself. And if something, even if I like do like a fill and it's and it's off, I'm very aware of that and how it affects other people. Mm-hmm. And I can mm-hmm. see that change and whether that's me projecting yeah. that you know um, that on onto other people. But there is uh, you know a certain vulnerability with being. Uh, comedian obviously just going up on stage by yourself and there's also more reward uh, I don't know if that's necessarily true because you can still rock it in any in any <laughs> sense um, do you do you get imposter syndrome oh my god man yeah especially with drums you know I mean I mean every uh, yeah that's a well if it makes you feel any better I used to get imposter syndrome around like you guys <laughs> Like, when I would play with you guys, even when we did the thing a couple years ago, when it was you, me, and Kevin, and, and Steve, and Zach, and the Friends with the Owners show we played at Handshake, I was like, I walked in, and I was like, well, I'm the least talented guy in the room. Like, I just, I'm by a considerable margin. And it's not that people haven't told me over the years that, like, I am okay at certain things, I'm a good singer, whatever, but I always feel like that exists in creative people. Like, there is that internal guilt, that, like, deep-seated imposter syndrome that exists, even if it's totally undeserved. Um, yeah. First of all, you are one of the best singers that it's, I I'm... know personally. I know. But so <laughs> so now this is um, this is something that I've experienced, that, that I've acknowledged and, and seen in myself, is that when people would give me compliments... Um, or say something, you know, you did a great job with that. Mm. I would immediately, because I've got my own analysis. Yeah, yeah. And if it doesn't meet up with that analysis, <laughs> I automatically don't trust you. You know, and it's like, mm. oh man, you, you were great. Or man, you, you look great up there. I'm like, okay, well, you're a lying sack of shit. You know, and it's not. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's just kind of the way that I'm set up. And, and I'm starting to, you know, accept other people's, I guess ideas or of of what's happening or or their perspectives but at the same time i've got my analysis and if it doesn't match up with what i'm thinking then well i wonder too sometimes if the comedy thing falls in the same line as music because i used to laugh about this if like let's say back in the day uh me and kev were playing a song with the blueprint or coercion or whatever and we played an original song that we wrote for the audience and let's say we screwed up a bar but like sort of recovered it and got back the audience for the most part, probably doesn't know that we made an error. Oh, we jumped this this uh, stanza by four bars or whatever, right? But we know, mm-hmm. right? So there's this internal thing. It's like what the audience perceives and what you perceive are very different because you're inside of it. And I bet you that happens all the time for comedy. It's like, yes, the audience laughed, but did they laugh as much at this joke here than they did at the place last week? Did I deliver it differently? There's probably like even from a good set to a good set, some sort of internal, like, I got to go back and watch the tape aspect mm-hmm. to it. Do you feel like you, you get caught up with that? Um, you know, I, I think that speaks a lot to the um, to the professionalism mm-hmm. of whoever's playing, you know, if it's whether it's music or comedy to, you know, if you make a mistake, how are you able to recover? Um, it, can you it's make tough. it seem seamless mm-hmm. or are you going to get caught up? Are you going to make it noticeable to the audience? Because I've yeah. seen bands where it's like, Okay, I would have known it was a mistake until they gave each other the face, you know, or whatever. Until they, right, until until it was very obvious that right. like they did a musician thing. Like, what did you do? The turnaround look. Right. I always go with the wrestling mentality with this, which is in professional wrestling, 
if you're supposed to duck a punch that I throw and you don't duck, I'm supposed to hit you to maintain the illusion of the act, right? If I know that I'm not supposed to hit you, but you don't move, I'm supposed to go through with it anyway because that's the act you're presenting. So I try and keep that in mind. It's a stupid thing. It's dumb, but I... <laughs> no, no, for sure. I mean, sometimes it's like, okay, you know, we're supposed to we're supposed to ring out for two beats, and then all of a sudden you're at three beats. Yeah. And it's like, okay, now it's going to be eight beats, and then here we here go, we go you yeah, know? Yeah. And it, it's the way that it is now. And sometimes those are serendipitous things that actually become parts of the song, which is interesting. So let's talk a little bit about comedy here, because I have some questions for you in terms okay. of... I, I love stand-up comedy, you know, and, and I, I grew up, I guess, sort of in that generation you were probably into watching comedy central stuff it was on during the day like i can't tell you how many like dana carvey and gallagher and random <laughs> comedians i would just see on like daytime tv I, I loved it uh and i and i mean now in the world you know we're in like the social media world the digital media world it feels a little different but what do you have any particular moment where like you like stand up came in your life because i always you know when we were growing up assumed you did nothing but listen to metal and play drums. So I'm, I'm curious, like, when... Did you always like stand-up comedy? Did you like it when you were kids and when we were younger? I always had a feeling that I would uh, enjoy doing it. Uh, mm-hmm. I kind of thought that it would be more of an improv, kind of a... My idea was that I would have more of a discussion with the audience. Yeah, yeah, and, um, and that I was very confident with that. Mm. Um, when I was in Nashville and I made my business cards, I said actor, drummer, comedian, and I was just doing drums at the time, but... I, and that card is what got me my first stand-up gig yeah. in Utica because mm-hmm. this person was like, hey, can you do 15 minutes? I'm like, because I gave her a card, and I'm like, yeah. And that first show ended up being incredible, right? Like, I went 25 minutes, and it was uh, – and even now I look back, and I almost don't even recognize who that person was. Like, my energy level is like I was shot out of a cannon. Like, yeah. it was really – and then after mm-hmm. that, it went steep downhill, like real rough. And – now, after being after being in L.A. and then doing some open mics and then going on the main stage and getting crushed, um, you know, by by uh, Tony Hunchcliffe and some other folks just yeah. tearing me, completely yeah, yeah, tearing yeah. me apart, which was well-deserved. <laughs> um, you know, after going through that and, you know, eating, eating some uh, humble pie, which I was already kind of... <laughs> You know, probably not in a great mental state. Well, yeah, and there's a lot of it in in LA. Um, But then it's like, okay, so now now it's time to work. Now I Mm. I understand the process because I don't even know what an open mic was here. You know what I mean? Like, I had no concept of that until probably 2017, 2016, three years after I did my first stand up show. And now I'm starting to like enjoy that process of like, Okay, I'm trying these things out in front of a bunch of comedians. Which things are they snickering at or laughing at because they don't really laugh too hard? Sure, right, right, right. And then which ones is, are, is it just completely blank? And then I can take those little seeds um, and then start developing those. And then when you get to a, a regular audience, they find that stuff, you know, very funny if you're if you're going about the process right. Yeah. And I'm starting to really enjoy that process and actually do it. What do you, I'm always so curious about this, you know, because I've always been fascinated by stand-up comedy. I like, I did one thing down at the, the improv, the the Devin and Brianna down uh-huh. here at the yeah, Upcom yeah. Theater. They asked me to host some, like, Saturday Night Live style show for nice. them. And I think it's on the internet, I could find it somewhere. But and, and I was like, do I have to, like, do stand-up? Because I'm not 
funny. Like my style of comedy is uh, sarcasm from the rafters. Right. I need like something <laughs> right. to be happening that I can comment on, like Mystery Science Theater, or, or like, like the guys from uh, the Muppets. That the, are up yeah, there. yeah, Statler and Waldorf. That's really where <laughs> my head's at most of the time. Uh, but even just going up, and they're like, "No, you don't have to be funny." <laughs> I'm like, so just go up there and talk to people, like stand up. And I guess that's what I kind of do here. But uh, but even just that, like, I wasn't all that funny i just went up there and the idea was they were like okay the audience is going to give you a word and you're just going to riff on that word right i was like fine cool i, I couldn't really imagine what someone's going to say to me but the, the word i got was splat and i'm That's standing so there and stay i'm like well, splat so I went on a whole riff about the board game Splat. You remember the board game Splat? Yeah, yeah. kind of where the thing, the hand would come up and slap. Slaps the, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's the best I could do. But like I, but even in that moment, I was both very much aware that I was not built for this, right? It's not my style. But also the captivating nature of it. The idea that even if you say one little thing that makes somebody in the back of the room laugh or giggle or break... There's that spark, and you can see it. You're like, oh, right there. Yep. I just saw it happen. That person, I'm, I'm on wavelengths with this person. And I can see where the, the catch is. I can see where the, the hook that drags you into the scene. And knowing what I know about the New York scene, um, I thought people were really open and, and welcoming. Have you felt like, for the most part, since like you went through that rough patch, like going to the clubs, going to things, you, like, have you made friendships through this? Have you met people through the industry? Um yeah, before before I answer that, yeah. I actually wanted my name in the band Potty Mouth to be Splat. Really? Yeah, that amazing. Funny. Um, we can talk about Potty Mouth. Too. So, uh, <laughs> uh, but I've been told that I can't I can't come up with my own name. Not by those guys. Not by right? the... by other people <laughs> yeah, who yeah. you know know the biz, quote unquote. Um, but so so the question. Oh, in terms of uh, connecting. Well, with like, people? yeah, because I, I always think about like you know even though like you guys when you were growing up were doing like the havoc. Central State Metal thing, uh-huh. and we were doing the punker thing. I always thought that, like, it was music at the core that sort of connected our big sort of group of troubadour musician friends, right? Mm-hmm. There was always that sort of thing, even if we weren't doing the same vibe. And I wonder if that sort of carries over in the comedy scene. Well, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, connecting with people, it's like hitting a good golf shot. You know what I mean? If you hit one good know. golf shot, then, uh, well, <laughs> we're getting all right I know what you mean. <laughs> It's some good putts. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> I did. It's it, it, there is something about that connection, even if everything's going terribly, and like one person's laughing, it's like it is a certain kind of relief. It's the dead silence that can mm-hmm. be a little that can it's be a little staggering. Tough. Um, but I think you know, and, and when you talk about the the word that somebody says, and you got to come up with a you know talking about splat or whatever, that is. Um, they actually have improv mics mm. out there, but that is a muscle that you can work too. That gets stronger and stronger, and you know. Um. I I've always thought for myself, if I were ever to get involved in this kind of scene, I would be more of a more of a bat. I want to be the guy. I don't want to be Seth Rogen. I want to be Seth Rogen's weird friend that writes all the movies with him that doesn't get any screen time. You know what I'm talking about? Like that guy. Right. I just I I I don't like my voice on camera uh, on on tape, which I. Somehow I ended up doing a podcast, but I hearing myself gives me heartburn. I can't take it. That's why I struggle to edit all these shows. Uh, let's get into a couple of things that you are doing that people can see. Can you talk a little bit about this green jellyvision or green jellyvision or what's going on with this? Yeah. So this is uh, 
this is super cool. I mean, this is kind of a um, a perfect situation for me and the things that I want to do with with my life. Uh, so from every Saturday for two hours, it was uh, it eight to ten. Now it is uh, seven to nine Pacific time, so ten to midnight uh, Eastern time. The band Green Jello or Legally Green Jelly, who had the yeah. Three Little Pigs. Um, <laughs> I'm pulling it up right now. The Three Little Pigs song. Just a quick for folks who want to know. Uh, this is from the Wikipedia page. They're an American comedy rock band formed in 1981. Originally named Green Jello, the band changed its name due to legal pressure from Kraft Foods, the owner of Jello. <laughs> uh, despite the difference, uh, the different spelling, the new and old names are pronounced identically. Uh, and for <laughs> folks who don't are still not sure who that is, they are famous for the song Three Little Pigs. From the 90s, you probably saw this video on MTV if you're older than me or Chris or in our age range. Yeah. So that's a real song that exists. I'm not going to play more because I don't want Spotify to throw me off the air. Uh, but yeah, so how did you sort of get involved in this? How did this come to your door? So when I first moved to L.A., I got in a metal band called Potty Mouth. And it's a lot like Guar, where yeah. if you're not familiar with Guar, it's people dressing up in costumes and shooting stuff on the crowd. And yeah, it's yeah, a yeah. speed metal type I of wonder thing. where you possibly got that inkling and, and itch from, from <laughs> yeah. any bands you've been in before. <laughs> um, and it's weird because I had this whole genre in my mind called Potty Metal, and then yeah, I, yeah. I came out here and... So, uh, anyways, I got in this band within the first week I was out there. This attracted that to my life. And um, the first show that we played was actually with Green Jelly, uh, Green Jello. And then the singer used to be in Green Jello back in the day. So now, fast forward, uh, no longer in Potty Mouth, uh, except for a show I'm playing next week. Nice. Um, and so I, I hear about this uh, Green Jelly Vision or this this variety show basically that happens weekly. Uh, the singer from Fishbone, which is a pretty uh, popular band, um, comes into the drum shop and he's like, "Yeah, I'm doing music for this." I was just chatting with him because we've got some weird history, and, uh, and I'm chatting with him. He's like, "Yeah, you know, I'm doing this. Uh, I'm doing this show with Bill Manspeaker, who's the the guy from uh, Green Jello, the mm-hmm. main leader guy, fantastic leader too. He's really uh, gets things done. It's excellent." And uh, I'm like, "Oh, that's interesting." And then I saw, you know, all these different people talking about it. And then all of a sudden, I got a buddy from that I went to school with in Syracuse. I haven't talked to in over a decade, mm-hmm. and uh, he's like, "Hey, man, uh, you want to get lunch or dinner? I'm I'm gonna be in town. I'm working with the guy from Green Jelly." I'm like, sure. Mm-hmm. So we talk, and he's like, "Hey, you should uh, come down. We actually need to borrow a drum set if you have a drum mm-hmm. set." I'm like, "I'm sure you do. I have thirteen of them." <laughs> Funny you ask. <laughs> so, uh, so they borrow the drum set, and they're like, "Hey, can we buy the drum set?" I'm like, "Sure." And they're like, "Hey, you mm-hmm. want to do some comedy? I know you just did a, co- a show." I'm like. Sure. So I ended up doing, uh, you know, something I've had in the can for about 13 years, which is the Equations uh, character uh, in the so, song One Over Two. Dude, I, I shit you not. I was doing math homework with kids today, and it was it was multiplying fractions. And I the whole time, it's all I could think about. Oh, this is in my head doing the whole beat. It's my favorite thing in the world. I got, <laughs> if I can find the track on my iTunes, I'm gonna, I'll am gonna put it on the pod this week. It's amazing. It's cool. one of my favorite things that's ever existed. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so I was able to just, you know, go up there, and I've, I can do it a cappella. So uh, I just asked for a beat, and the guy from Fishbone and his drummer gave me a beat. And really I, cool. And I rapped it. And so basically, it just kind of, there's a lot of things that I've been able to build up in terms of working for backline companies and and doing kind of different tech type of work. 
uh, that I've been able to help out in that kind of the practical side of things with that, but also writing these comedy sketches. Um, and and they've been loving it. And it's like an insane clown posse type of crowd, which is right yeah. up my alley. I mean, it's a literal freak <laughs> show. Like they're pulling swords out of their mouths. And, you know, if you look at it, it's, uh, it's just like a huge puppet show with these human-sized mm. puppets. I mean, it's... It's a it's a pretty hilarious thing, but I just sort of ended up there, and uh, it's been a great fit so far. And that's on YouTube. I've watched some of the stuff you sent me, so I'll, I'll Facebook try. Facebook too. Facebook, Facebook too, Live, yeah, Facebook there. Live, yeah. awesome. Uh, speaking of which, before we get any farther, where can people? I know you have lots of like platforms. I follow you on Instagram and stuff. Where can people, if they want to see some of the stuff, go take a look? Instagram, Facebook, something yeah, like that? Yeah, so definitely my Facebook, uh, Chris Mandry. Instagram is Chris underscore Mandry. Uh, my YouTube is Sinister Saint Drummer. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Um, <laughs> yep. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so I, I put stuff up there. I, I don't put up as much as I want to. It's just that's Sorry a whole other thing in terms of, like, creating and then actually putting the stuff up. I get a little hung up with that. But, um yeah, you can find stuff there on the Green Jelly Facebook page. They're doing clips, but also the full show. I'm actually playing with Potty Mouth this Saturday. We're the uh, we're the band for that. They had last week guy from Suicidal Tendencies. Green Jelly's played. Um, Fishbone's probably gonna end up playing. But uh, yeah, so I'm playing there this Saturday from seven to nine is the show, and we've got about five or six songs that we're gonna be doing. Uh, so. I want to do some lightning round questions with you. Uh, before we do, though, I guess I should bring this up for folks who have Peacock because I was watching uh, <laughs> WrestleMania last night. Uh, two nights of I watched so much wrestling this week, my eyes can barely open. I'm losing my mind. Uh, but right before I went to bed last night, you happened to mention that you had a cameo on the season three finale episode, which is called Katie Holmes Day, of the NBC comedy AP Bio. <laughs> How did this happen? How did you show up in the in the as an extra on this show? Did that just sort of, that just sort of fall in your lap, or what happened? Yeah, so uh, so I, I signed up for something that's a really famous uh, casting uh, call kind of place mm-hmm. called um, Central Casting. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. It's been around since the twenties. Mm-hmm. I think they're in New York and LA and a couple other places, but. Uh, so I just signed up through them, and through that, uh, they have kind of a selection process for each potential show that you could be on if you fit whatever profile they're looking for. And I happened to fit the profile that uh, apparently that they were looking for. So um, yeah, I got the call to do it, and I was able to do it. So I, I showed up at the I believe it was the Warner Brothers lot, um, and yeah. It, was an extra. I need to warn you folks. When I say that he was on the show, we had to do some deep dive in to find the clips yeah. of him. We, he's on there. Yep. You, you didn't have any lines with uh, Dennis or anything. Although they should have given you some lines. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rewatch the episode because... You think you got one? I, you I, think you got one? When he first walks through the crowd, he definitely bumps into me. And I told him like when we were... So he was standing there and he's like, okay, I think I'm going to run through here. I'm like, listen, man, if you need to check me or anything, you can just do it. He's like, he looked at me, he's like, uh, all right. <laughs> all right, bro. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I'm holding a turkey leg. Yeah, you are holding a turkey leg, which is very exciting. Look for the turkey leg man in the hat. Uh, all right, let's do some lightning round questions. Okay. Okay. Uh, and this one is, this one's less of a lightning round question and more of something you brought up to me this week, which I just want to welcome you on board. You had mentioned to me that over, in a recent period, you've gotten into a little band Known as Steely Dan, is this correct? That is correct. 
Uh, there's a lot of folks out there who know how I feel about Steely Dan. And, of course, my original podcasting friend Dano feels that way, too. Uh, I wonder, with between the golf and the Steely Dan, if it's just an age thing. Because I feel like I'm kind of... I, I didn't like Steely Dan when I was younger. I aged into it. Is it just that we're getting old? Is that what it is? Uh, you know, I think... They're a musician's band. They are definitely... They're definitely a musician's band. And I and I appreciated, you know, uh, Bernard Purdy, one of the drummers mm-hmm. on there. But I recently oh, yeah. read the biography of uh, Jeff Picaro. And that's what really got me into Steely Dan. Yep, yep. He, that was one of his favorite bands. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's on a bunch of their, bunch of their stuff. And, uh, but it is, I would say, yeah, with age, because I wouldn't listen to anything like Tool wasn't heavy enough for me in high school, you know, uh, unless there was screaming and I felt like I wanted to, you know, commit some kind of murder, then, uh, it wasn't heavy enough for me. I loved watching you guys play. I loved all the music you guys played, but I always felt like such a dweeb because I was never like into metal the way you guys were like i liked like metal the way that like jocks like metal i was like oh like the black album and i like like that one pantera (laughs) album that everyone likes right like but like i i the minute you start getting into like like wild metal like like norwegian black metal i'm like i don't this doesn't sound like anything to me guys i maybe i'm just i'm not hearing it but you guys i always felt like i couldn't say that because you guys were too cool i was like metal enough to <laughs> I felt, always felt like an outsider in metal I don't know why I guess because I'm too much of a pop nerd uh yeah we probably made you feel like that you feel a little bit like that. oh what's this pussy shit this and is crap like, you're making oh, this listen. happens to be Weezer my uh, favorite is, band who I actually like quite a bit but... <laughs> this is a band called Jimmy World uh no, to be fair though I, I did screaming and bleeding yeah what's going on no one's angry uh they're just sad they're not angry <laughs> I don't understand can't relate to these uh, happy people no it, it is funny though like as I get older though what's interesting about metal to me is metal becomes a musician's genre to me because I guess when I was a kid, I didn't quite understand the intricacies when I listened to a lot of metal. Like, now I think, like, I, I watched some old Metallica thing a couple weeks ago. I was like, you know, like, some of this stuff is wildly intense. And I'm, I never gave it enough credit. So I think once you know more about how the music is created, it gives you a little bit more of a, a respect for the actual art itself. Even if I could never, like, I think I listened to Mastodon once in a while, which is also like a metal band that Doc made fun of me for. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty ugly stuff. But uh yeah, man, yeah, there's definitely something in terms of age and um and expanding your tastes and uh, uh appreciating different things for, for different reasons, you know. Maybe that angst isn't necessarily there anymore that you were feeling when you were fifteen. I think that's a good uh segue into our lightning round questions. Many of these are music based. Uh so we'll start from here. Uh Chris Mandry. What's your favorite song all time? Any band you've ever been in to cover? Oh man, uh, I would say it's, it's strange because I've had experiences like Blue Monday. My the <laughs> first song I ever did was like I felt like I was in the Beatles. Like when I look back on that, oh you know, yeah, like just the the crowd response. But like my favorite song to actually play and cover uh it's between uh from the bell tolls by metallica mm-hmm. and um something by rage against the machine mm. oh, i'm sorry the that's tolls wrong or oh, what's the right answer the answer was toxic by britney spears i'm sorry no 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 
Rage Against the Machine, though, has got to be high in the list. I think about that all the time. Like, it's got to be so much fun to play any Rage song. Something that's simple that you can really move around to while you're playing, you know? <laughs> uh, that's that's what I like doing. Uh, give me, uh, on that same list, this is sort of a multi-part question, okay? So let's assume that any band from your favorite band that you've ever played in is headlining its own festival. Give me two headliners Two bands you would want to play with more than anything else in your entire life. And then give me a couple bands who you'd want to open for you who people might not know about. So people who I would want to, to open for? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Metallica. Metallica. Yep, without any question. Um, Is Metallica like A number one for you? Uh, Metallica, White Zombie, Pantera. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'll put mm-hmm. on Pantera, Pandora, and it's pretty much every song on there. Is, Yo, Pantera... As I just went into that whole bit about how I don't, I don't, I never got metal when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. I want to say that Pantera was the one as I got older. That I was like, you know what though, this this slaps pretty hard, and I think it's the grooviness. It is that exists. Level. Yeah, there's some sort of groove to Pantera, that sort of sludginess that like really gets you. I scared Phil and Selma once at the at the whiskey. <laughs> he was singing in this band. Uh, I forget what the name of the band was, but it's this like black metal band. And he's a scour. And he's they're doing a Pantera song, and I got up to the front, and he was singing, and he had his his the mic right in front of his face, and I went up, and I got like wrist control on him, <laughs> like I just grabbed his wrist, but I just did it. It was innocent, <coughs> right? I grabbed his wrist, and he knew that he wasn't like I could have done anything with it, <laughs> and he looked at me in the eyes, and then it was just like we made, had this moment, and then he was like, "Oh, I'm okay." Yeah, <laughs> like, this guy's all right. Uh, give me one band or musician who you don't think gets enough credit. Um, oh, and somebody to open for me. Oh, yeah, yeah, I would sorry, say yeah. uh, uh, probably the Blueprint. I would want that's, to. That's not true. He's lying. <laughs> uh, is there like one musician that you've like gotten into recently? Like, I mean, I like, you talk about Bernard Purdy, who's mm-hmm. one I've talked about in the pod before. Are there like musicians you grew up listening to you don't think get the credit they deserve? Who I grew up listening. Oh, uh, Dimebag. Yeah, yeah, Dimebag Daryl, number one man. Dimebag I Darryl. mean, that's a guy who I think I that name for a long time. Right, <laughs> it's yeah. He's a he's just a he's a special cat, man. In in Rolling so Stone, good. they had um, they had like the top hundred guitarists, and he's got to be in the top ten. I mean, it, oh, in, yeah. in my opinion, for what he did in metal, to only be one guitarist and probably the heaviest band, one of the heaviest bands, and also you know he's very much like he's like a, a metal version of Eddie Van Halen mm-hmm. um, in a lot of ways, which I just started recognizing. And I just don't think that he gets the credit he deserves probably because of the genre that he was in. Yeah. But I don't really know many guitarists well, who are better. I mean, I think, there's a, I think there's a fair parallel analogy to be drawn between, like, metal and horror movies, right? It wasn't like they weren't making good horror movies in the 60s and 70s and 80s. It's just that no one cared. Or not the mainstream people didn't give them credit until, like, Silence of the Lambs or the Black Album, right? right. Metallica's Black Album might as well be the Silence of the Lambs of its genre. All of a sudden, people are like, oh, okay. Yes, this is, like, a thing, right? Yeah, I don't know. Sure. If, I don't know if the Black Album won any awards. Um, give me one book, album, uh, movie, or television show that you are currently reading, listening to, or watching. Book, album, movie, or television show? The book I'm reading currently is called uh, Pimp, The Story of My Life by Iceberg Slim. Amazing. Yep. (laughs) It is... uh, (laughs) It is... (laughs) 
Amazon uh, bestseller, yeah. and uh, it is riveting. Like it's, you get it, you get a look into uh, first of all systematic racism. Uh, mm-hmm. Oh, within, for sure, yeah. Within you know the the jail system and mm-hmm. just the way that people were treated. You know, this guy grew up in the in the twenties, and you know, uh, it's it's you can't put it down. Yeah. Once you start, you know, and then I read it to myself and, uh, you know, in the, in the voice that I imagine Iceberg Slim would have, and it just makes it very entertaining, even more so, and compelling to me. Do you prefer a nonfiction book, do you think, to fiction? Uh, I guess that's what I've been primarily reading. I feel like most people I talk to when I ask this question and they do the book answer, most people I know tend to read nonfiction. I always feel like a... Not a weirdo, but I feel like an outlier that I tend to not read. I guess it's because I worked in education and I've done so much history. Like I was a history, I'm a history major. I'm like, I mean, I did nothing but read textbooks for like ten years. That's all I ever did. Uh, so I think now that I'm like have a little more freedom in what I choose to read, I'm a little more willing to just be like, I'm gonna read a book about a detective or right. about a plague or about a. Dinosaur. Oh, is this your book you got here? Oh, it's amazing. I gotta look at, I'm gonna take that picture of this because I, uh, I'm gonna get this book. I'm always looking for new books to get. There you go. I said, bitch, ain't you hip yet? I'm a pimp with great imagination. That's all. She finished her flapjacks. She got up and gathered an armful of her soiled clothing. She went into the bathroom. I heard the water sloshing in a bowl. See, like, that's the voice. That's I'm, what I do to myself. I'm putting this on Amazon. I'm giving this on my Amazon wish list right now. It's uh, amazing. I'm going to set you up with a scenario. So bear with me for a second. We might have done this question before, but we'll do it again because it's fun. You, Chris Mandry, are the World Wrestling Federation heavyweight champion of the world. You are walking down to the ring. The crowd is chanting your name. <sighs> You're holding the belt above your head. What song is playing in the background as you make your way? the ring mm-hmm. uh thunder kiss 65 by white zombie, oh, white zombie. Rob zombie also doesn't get enough credit as a musician he's gotten too much credit my opinion. too much credit you say wow yeah. he's, wow he's gotten a little sloppy in his, in his <laughs> later in life I, you know i think his focus is in other places uh do you like him as a director yeah he's okay yeah, no, no, it's the, I mean, I, I'm i not a huge movie guy, I know uh, House of a Thousand Corpses. I was thinking, was, I saw that at the Uptown Theater. Yo, the Uptown Theater, last, God, that was super intense. I'm trying to think of the last, the last thing I saw at the Uptown Theater before they stopped, like, showing movies at all. Do you remember the, the real terrible Indiana Jones movie with Shia LaBeouf in it? The Crystal Skulls? Uh, I, sort of rings a bell. Yo, Kevin and I went to a midnight showing at the Uptown of Indiana Jones and Kingdom of the Crystal Skulls. And it was bad. Yeah. The crowd did not care for it. They gave us wings. It was like the, you go to the thing, you're like, eat some wings and pizza, and then go watch the movie. <laughs> the wings and pizza were good. The movie was not. It was a tough hang. Uh, and this is, I guess, this is a question more for me. Because I'm sure that whether you've been home with your parents, doing family stuff, seeing the boys, hanging out with people, you, you know, you've been back for a couple of days, you know, almost a week now. I'm sure if everyone's been asking you, are you going to stay? Are you going to stay? Why don't you come back to you again? I'm going to reframe this question. And I'm going to ask you about Los Angeles. Okay. Knowing what you know, you've been there. How long have you been in Los Angeles? Two and a half years. Two and a half years. I said this at two and a half years, so I won't hold you to it. Do you think you're a lifer? Do you think that's... Do you think that's... 
where you're going to end up? I, you know, he, I would You're always... allowed to change your mind in whatever you want. <laughs> okay. Thank God. Yeah, well, this is going to manifest probably whatever I say. Um, I think that I would like to always have a place in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I feel like I'm a, more of a transient type of person where I just, yeah. I'd like to bounce around. Like, I'd like to have a place here in New York and Nashville and in, in L.A. But for right now, it's uh, it seems like that's where I'm going to be for mm-hmm. a long period of time. Uh, you actually used took your word right out of my mouth. You know, I always, I, I was always curious. And I, I was going to ask you this question earlier, and I thought it was kind of silly. It was like, how did people in you know the West Coast treat you as a quote unquote New Yorker? But I feel like Los Angeles, much like New York City, is kind of a transient city that no one's actually from. Like, no one is born in Los Angeles or lived there their whole <laughs> life. They all came from somewhere else. So I feel like no one probably cared that you were from New York. Well, right? they ship all the babies out once they come out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> like, did people even give you crap for being from New York? Or they were just like, oh, we didn't even notice. No, no. Everybody, like you said, everybody's from different places. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's when I say I'm from, you know, I'm from Utica. They're like, oh, I'm from Utica, New York. And they're like, oh, man, New York City, blah, blah, blah. Make you know, sure. <laughs> like, yeah, it's a little, it's a little different. Um it, 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 no, you don't really get a you don't really get a lot of a lot of shit, you know, because there are so many people from from so yeah. many different places. Um, yeah, um, I can see it. Don't get me wrong, I'm happy that you're here. It's been great having you back for a week. I love watching wrestling and playing golf and hanging out and having beers and chilling. It's been great. Uh, but I'm not going to do that thing where I tell you like, man, I'm telling you, weather's nice and super cheap and landscape. I know, uh, I know all the benefits of living here as opposed to a city. I would enjoy your time in Los Angeles and do your thing because I, there are parts of me, even today, you know, I, I'm, I'm established up here, man. I'm, I'm not even going nowhere. This mm-hmm. is, this is my life now, but I still miss the, the opportunity, even if I wasn't taking it, that New York City provided to me. I'm mm-hmm. sure the Los Angeles is, you know, just the West Coast in general is probably the same way. Mm-hmm. So I would say, don't be in any rush to come back here. Nothing's changing. You're going to be fine. If you yeah. decide to come back one day. We'll be happy to have you. Nice. Well, you got to come out and see me, <laughs> dude. When I, I swear to God, I've been talking a lot. You're like number two on my list because our good buddy Dano out in Northampton, Massachusetts, yep. he's been killing me for years to come out. I just drove out to Chicago earlier this like last month to visit my sister, which is the first like vacation I've taken. Mm-hmm. And now that I've driven to Chicago and back by myself, you can do anything, bro. I'm like that Massachusetts trip is nothing now. I can't. I can't. I have no excuse to not go visit him. I would probably take a plane if I came to see. I'm not driving. To, I'm not driving to Los Angeles. Uh, for now, though, I will enjoy the time we have left with you while you're here. I want to thank you for being our first guest uh, back in over a year. Don't get excited, folks. I can't guarantee that next week we'll have somebody in studio. Uh, but uh, it's been an honor and a pleasure. Thanks, buddy. I'll give you a hug when we're done, but I won't do it on air. But. Cheers. All right. Everybody. Yes. Cheers. Pleasure. Thanks for having me, man. I love you. I love Kevin. I love everything you guys do, and I appreciate this talking to you all the time. Man. Always a pleasure, brother. One more time before you go, where can people get a hold of you on all your platforms? Yeah. So, uh, Chris underscore Mandry on Instagram, Facebook, Chris Mandry, uh, Twitter. I don't really use too much. I think it's Cr Mandry. Cramandry, my yep. favorite. Yep. Cramandry. Yeah. Um, Cramandry. And. Uh, <laughs> And so on uh, Saturdays, the Green Jellovision uh, live broadcast, two-hour deal. Uh, you can catch me hopefully every Saturday, definitely this Saturday, but hopefully all the ones uh, in the future. Thanks for coming, buddy. I appreciate it. Thanks, buddy. Let's go watch TV for a minute.
right. Back to the show, folks, in just a moment. So tired. I feel like it hit me like a sack of bricks. Oh, I bet. I'm so tired. I bet. Getting back into the game. Back into the game. I'm so exhausted. I'm going to fall asleep so early tonight. Uh, that being said, I'm never too tired for some history lessons. God. Uh, but we are running a little bit long. So I will skip past uh, Black Monday in 1360 when a hailstorm killed a thousand England troops, English troops in France during the Hundred Years' War. That's mm. it. There's your one line of history. That's what happened. Okay. On this day, a hailstorm killed a bunch of people. Because in 1360, hailstorms killed people. <laughs> pretty more, pretty more, more regular than they do today. Different time. I will not move past this one, though, because it's one of my favorite, uh, most important stories in American history. On this day, 1865, John Wilkes Booth shot Abraham Lincoln at Ford Theater in Washington, D.C. John Wilkes Booth was a well-regarded actor who was particularly loved in the South before the Civil War. During the war, he stayed in the North and became increasingly bitter when audiences weren't as enamored as they were with him in Dixie. Uh, along with Samuel Arnold, Michael O'Laughlin, and John Surratt, John Wilkes Booth uh, conspired to kidnap Abraham Lincoln and take him to Richmond, the, uh, the Confederate capital. However, on March 29th, the day of the planned kidnapping, Lincoln failed to appear at the spot where Booth and his six fellow conspirators lay in wait. Mm. Two weeks later, Richmond, the Confederate capital, fell to Union forces. Mm. In April, with Confederate armies near collapse across the South, John Wilkes Booth hashed a desperate plan to quote-unquote save the Confederacy. <coughs> uh, learning that Lincoln was attending a performance of the acclaimed Laura Keene play Our American Cousin at Ford's Theater, uh, Booth plotted a simultaneous assassination of not just Lincoln, but also Vice President Andrew Johnson and Secretary of State William H. Seward. By murdering the President and two of his possible successors, Booth and his conspirators hoped to throw the U.S. government into paralyzing disarray. Mm. Uh, on the evening of April 14th, conspirator, uh, conspirator Lewis T. Powell burst into Secretary of State Seward's house, seriously wounding him and three others with a knife, while George Azarot, who was assigned to Vice President Johnson, lost his nerve and ended up drinking alone at mm. a bar. Uh, just after 10 p.m., Booth entered Lincoln's private theater box unnoticed and shot the president with a single bullet in the back of his head. Uh, what's interesting about this is Booth had, was very, uh, familiar with Ford's Theater. He was a pretty regular player there. So he was able to sneak in unbeknownst to Lincoln because he knew the building really well. Knew where to get in, knew how to lock the door so that the guards couldn't get in afterwards. He jimmied the door closed with a, with a stick. So, sort of he was on Booth's turf as well. You know, he was in a place that Booth was very familiar uh, Booth broke his leg jumping from Lincoln's box, but succeeded in escaping Washington on horseback. President was carried to a cheap lodging house opposite Ford's Theater. About 7.22 the next morning, he died. He was the first president to be assassinated. 
You can also go across the street from Ford's Theater and visit the house. Mm-hmm. I chose not to do it because the line was crazy long and my kids wanted to get food when we were on vacation. But it is cool to go to Ford's Theater. I've been there once. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt terrible because I was so excited for it. I was like, this is one of my favorite stories ever. Like, like just, just so captivated by the story of the capture of John Wilkes Booth. Yeah, sure. And uh, we'd been on the road all day and we'd been at museums. And Ford's Theater was super comfortable. And it was super air conditioned, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I fell asleep in like two seconds because oh, like, I, I was not. The kids were like doing their own thing, and I had like a minute mm-hmm. to sit down, and I was just like ah, oh. clunked out. So I fell asleep in Fort Theater. That's a cool story. Cool story. That's a cool uh, story. You're talking about you fell asleep in Fort Theater. Uh, John Wilkes Booth. You got, fell asleep in the very seat. Not the very seat. The very seat. <laughs> the very seat. Uh, when troops did catch up with Booth and his, the last conspirator, John Harold, on April 26th. He was given the option to surrender before the barn he was hiding in burned down, but Booth remained and said he would not come out. Uh, He was then shot and killed by Corporal Boston Corbett. Uh, The only other thing of note here, uh, everyone else, Azeroth, Powell, Harold, and Seward, as well as Seward's mother, Mary, were hanged in Washington, D.C. afterwards. Mary Seward, I'm sorry, Mary Surratt, a lot of people believe this was a miscarriage of justice. He was the first woman who was ever hanged in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of it felt like because she was a woman, she got a lot harsher sentencing. Mm-hmm. Although she was part of the original conspiracy, it's clear that what she did compared to everyone else was pretty minor. Essentially, she owned the bar that people met at. Sure. Um, so minor, in fact, that even up, up until the day of the execution, uh, they were expecting a pardon that never came. There was a line of people waiting from the White House to pass the line along, and it never showed up. Uh, to this day, guests at Fort McNair claim that they have seen the ghost of Mary Surratt haunting Fort McNair mm. because of this. So there you go. Uh, I mean, I, I feel like I've, I've told the story a million times. Probably one of the most, like, seminal stories in American history. I feel like everyone knows this story. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah. Cool. I don't know. Booth, uh, I always think about it this way. Like, Booth was in a popular acting family. So I always think, like, today, like, the equivalent would be, like, if the, one of the Baldwins, like, assassinated Joe Biden. You sure. Mean, that's, like, a, it really, he, they really were that famous. Booth wasn't just some guy. Like, they, mm-hmm. the Booths were a well-known, well-respected family of actors. This was yeah, a, yeah. how big of a scandal this was can't really be, like, comprehended, I guess, today. So, really fascinating story. So this happened on this day. 1865. Uh, all right, what else? What else? Uh, do you get do you do you care about the first dogfight that ever happened? Like the first uh, plane dogfight? Do they know? They probably don't know. I've met people who've been fighting dogs since we were living in the <laughs> no, woods. No, I go like uh, like air pilots. Oh, planes? Oh, you're like talking planes. about planes? No, no, no. Stuff. Airplanes we know about, not dogfighting. Mm. Uh, like dogfights, like aerial dogfights. Mm. Well, regardless, it happened on this day, 1918. The first American pilots engaged in a dogfight over a Western Front. Uh, America won. Crazy, did. crazy. Can't imagine being up in some wooden plane. That's the thing I do find the most terrifying about this, right? Sure. Like, in 1918, mm-hmm. to be in an airplane trying to kill someone in another airplane. Like, you have to go up in that plane being like, well, I'm probably going to die here, right? Yeah. At, at, at the very best case scenario, 50% chance I walk out of this alive. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. Worst case scenario, even if I survive the dogfight, I'm still in, like, a paper and, like, glue stick airplane crashing into the ground. So, mm-hmm. like, whatever. Yeah. Respect for anybody 
before like the 1990s whoever got in an airplane i feel like yeah shout what? out to all of our listeners who were the world war Two one dog fighting veterans well when did airplanes become like so safe that we were just like yeah whatever airplanes are chill like it can't be that long ago no Right, like in the 80s, no, 90s? way before that. 70s? Yeah, airplanes were plenty safe in the 70s. Bro, I'm just saying. It was just more, yeah. I mean, with, with by, I mean, by the time we had commercial airliners. So sometime between 1918 and 1970, things got better. Certainly better than World War II. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we had the commercial airliner open up in the 50s and 60s. It was just a little more expensive. We had the safety to do it, but people didn't do it as much just because it was so much more expensive to do. Yeah. No, that's true. I uh, God, it's been such a long time since I've been on a plane. Mm. Really, I gotta be honest. I'm not looking forward to getting back. I never like getting on planes in the first place. I don't love. It's like uncomfortable. Mm. I mean, I've I also went on like a puddle jumper plane not too long ago, like with mm. the three seats, and that's really unsettling. Mm. Like it's nice. It's kind of nice to be in a big airplane because it feels big and strong and well constructed. Because it allows you to forget about what you're doing. To forget about what you're doing. Yeah. When you're in that like three row plane mm-hmm. it, you're like is a big guy gonna come and throw us into the wind how does this thing start it feels very rickety yeah in a way that i did not care for uh i mean i'm not gonna i'm not gonna give up i, I have a family member who refuses to take airplanes anywhere like what? so scared of getting on a plane that they'll, they'll drive across the country an adult oh yeah interesting big time adult come on and stunned stunned how much they dislike airplanes come on uh all right on this day, 1947, I'm going to try and get through this as fast as I can. I'm losing my voice. Uh, Jackie Robinson became the first uh, African-American player in Major League Baseball when he stepped onto Ebbets Field in Brooklyn to compete for the Brooklyn Dodgers. Robinson broke the color barrier in a sport that had been segregated for more than 50 years. Uh, exactly 50 years later, on April 15, 1997, Jackie Robinson's groundbreaking career was honored and his uniform number, 42, was retired by every team in Major League Baseball uh, in a ceremony in New York attended by 50,000 fans at Shea Stadium. Robertson is the first and only player to ever have his number retired by all the teams in the league. Uh, fun fact, Kevin, I'm sure you remember the last player to ever wear number 42 because he was grandfathered in. I'm sure you know the answer. I do indeed. That is number 42 for the Yankees, Mariano Rivera. Mm-hmm. One of the greats. The last man to ever wear number 42. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jackie Robinson was born in Georgia to a family of sharecroppers. Growing up, he excelled at sports and attended the University of California, where he was the first athlete ever to letter in four varsity sports, basketball, baseball, football, and track. Financial difficulties forced him to drop out of UCLA, and he joined the Army in 1942 and was commissioned as a second lieutenant. After protesting instances of racial discrimination during his military service, Robinson was court-martialed in 1944. Ultimately, though, he was honorably discharged later on. Uh, after the Army, Robinson played for a season in the uh, Negro American League in 1947 before being called up to the majors and soon being a star infielder and outfielder for the Dodgers, as well as the National League Rookie of the Year in 1949. He was named the MVP and league batting champion all in the same year. It's pretty wild. Uh, he played on an all-star team uh, on, on all-star teams from 1949 through 1954, led the Dodgers to six pennants and one World Series. He was uh, inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame in 1962 on his very first year of eligibility. Um, let's move a little bit farther into the future, shall we? Please. Let's move to 1997, Whoa. when Tiger Woods became the won his very first Masters tournament, which also happened this weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, Elder Tiger Woods was born in the suburbs of Los Angeles, California in 1975. Uh, 
He was encouraged from inf infancy by his father for a career in golf. People famously have seen at the age of two, he teed off against Bob Hope on television, on Mike Douglas' show. At the age of five, he was featured on the That's Incredible show. At the age of eight, he won his first junior world championship. I always am stunned when anyone is, like, so good at something at such a young age. Mm. Like, just, like, I'm sure that his dad was really just on him all the time. It probably wasn't a great, like, life. I don't know. I don't know what his relationship like that was, but... To be so good at something, like, how much golf could you possibly be playing at two years old to be that good? Like, just, wow. I don't think, when, when you're good, that's not about practice. About skill, two, just innate about, skill. It's about innate talent, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's not like, oh, I get in 18 holes three times a week. <laughs> As a two-year, yeah, like, right. I got a certain natural aptitude available mm -hmm. here. Uh, 1995, uh, Woods played his very first Masters, his first professional major tournament. Uh, Augusta National Golf Club had not let an African-American join the golf ranks until 1991. Mm. Uh, Woods finished 41st in that first tournament. Uh, he claimed his third U.S. Amateur title not long after, left college, uh, Stanford, and turned pro in August of 96, uh, winning the title and being named the PGA Outstanding Rookie in December of 96. He was celebrated by Sports Illustrated as Sportsman of the Year. It was in 1997... Uh, in April, that he won the most decisive victory in Masters 44-year history at that time. His margin of victory, 12 strokes, was the largest in, in the 20th century. His score of 18 under par over the entire course of four days broke the 32-year-old record held by uh, legend Jack Nicholson. Uh, in June of 1997, he was ranked number one in the world. In 1990, By 1999, he'd won eight PGA tournaments and earned a record $6 million. Um, I won't get into the downside of Tiger Woods. I know he's had a rough go in terms of like his personal life over the years. But again, he, he won a Masters in 2019. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you can argue that his career kind of dropped off a little bit in the 2000, early 2000s, picked back up a little bit in the later 2010, 2013 era. Yeah, he was but garbage for a long time. Very bad. Uh, a lot of that was injuries. Probably the most influential golfer I've ever seen and will ever see. No mm -hmm. question asked. Like, just made golf cool. In a way, and I do think if I could take one athlete's skill set, mm. it would be Tiger Woods. Like, take away all the injuries, and like, if you could just have one person's skill and keep that for your own, probably the most, most low key. Just that that good playing a sport that's pretty low key that I'm occasionally pretend to like. Mm. Like, yeah, I think I feel like that might be the one you want. Mm. That that skill level to know how good it was to be. The greatest golfer in the world, undisputed, for mm. a period of time, and nobody questioned it. There was nobody who was out here like, well, I think Phil Mickelson. No, you were lying to yourself. Tiger mm. was the undisputed best. I don't know. Crazy. Uh, so there you go. Those are history lessons for the week. Some sports. Speaking of the Masters, shout out to Masters winner uh, Hideki Matsuyama, the very first uh, Japanese man to win the Masters. Uh, great article on BBC Today about how he will most certainly become like a hero forever in Japan because of oh, this. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, it's such a weird... I, I was talking to Chris about this during the interview. Because he told me... He talked to us this week about how he's into Steely Dan now. And I was like, I think it's an age thing. Because I didn't like golf. And now I'm into a certain age where golf appeals to me. Not that I'm better at golf. Not that I like the sport of golf anymore. Mm -hmm. But the idea of being outside in the sun and doing something like that is a little more appealing to me now. Like, even when I went on Saturday... It was nice to just be outside. Did I play well? Absolutely not. I shanked lots of balls into trees and I stink. Yeah. But it just gave me an excuse to be outside in the sun with people I like. It's nice to be outside. Right? 
Yeah. And maybe I just that's that concept is more appealing to me at 36 than it would have been when I was younger. I was like, golf is stupid, mm. right? Sure, yeah. Because I'm thinking yeah. about it compared to like basketball or soccer, like a sport that's more exciting to play and watch, right? Right. So. See, I think you would like golf. I just got to get you long enough golf clubs. That's, yeah, that's how, I like golf. I've played golf. I, you know, I grew up. My dad's a golfer. My brother plays golf. I spent plenty of time in the driving ranges and like part three when I was a kid. I don't dislike golf. I just don't have clubs. I feel like, and I'm totally speculating here, mm. I would guess that your brother has a great drive. Yeah, he's a monster. Oh, man. <laughs> he hits it monstrous off the tee. He's a monster. That'd, yeah. be, my, that'd be my guess. Uh, let's do a quick doomsday report here before we get to the end. Uh, volcanic eruption in the island of St. Vincent in the Caribbean means evacuation orders are in order for the entire island. Mm. Uh it's got to be tough, man. I can't imagine. Like, I guess you don't choose to live next to a volcano. You don't. Yeah, I mean, you just you happen to live there. Yeah. But could you ever really relax? Like, if we had a volcano, like a non-active volcano that was in Utica, do we'd ever really like look at it and be like, it could happen anytime, though? Yeah, of course. I'm thinking about it all the time. We relax- ne- no, no, no. We would relax instantly. You think so? Yeah. We as humans, there's so much stuff like that just right now that people just don't pay attention to. Mm. Yeah, we as humans turn that off almost immediately. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, no, we wouldn't notice at all until something happened. Nobody until the would, smoke started coming. Literally, out of it, yeah. nobody would think about it. It'd be like, oh, I don't care. I lived here my whole life. It didn't erupt yet. It's not going to erupt. And if it does, it's not going to take me. Yeah, no, nobody would care. I feel like the minute you'd nobody see it on care. the horizon, you'd be like, oh yeah, then everybody would go nuts. Yeah. yeah. Uh, this is sort of a weird doomsday report. Uh, four gray whales were found dead in San Francisco this week over mm. a nine-day period. Uh, one of them was hidden by a ship, but experts are trying to determine how the other three died. Mm. When I say Doomsday Report here, what I really mean is this feels like the beginning to a movie about something that's killing whales and we should be concerned about it. Like yeah. some sort of giant shark. It's called climate change. Climate change. I mean was... giant shark. We know what it is and it's no mystery. You don't think it's the Meg? No, I don't. I think it's, it's I think it's the all the Pacific garbage patch. I was taking much less of a serious take on this Doomsday Report. You said report. Doomsday Report. I know. I guess I should have The Meg isn't Doomsday. It lives in the ocean. I live on the land. That's not a problem for me. <laughs> That's a good point. The Meg is not a problem. Giant octopus? Cool. Stay. Stay out there. <laughs> I'm in a plane. Uh, I'm not going to have to sail across the ocean if I want to go to Europe like your unnamed family member. I'm in the plane. I care not about the Meg. Uh, and we'll do one last check-in before we close out this week. We talked about Phoebe Bridger and her whole issue with smashing her guitar at SNL and how about the old not heads Not her got... issue. The old heads issue. Old people's issue. Uh, so shout out to Phoebe Bridgers this week uh, who sold that guitar in a glad auction, auctioned it off, and raised $101,000 for mm. glad charity by auctioning off her smashed SNL guitar. Mm. Suck it, David Crosby, you old jerk. I'm a big supporter <laughs> of anything that makes stuffy, old, or wannabe old kids these days, things these yeah, days. Yeah, yeah. Right? Like anything that gets those people's uh, like bees in their bonnet is something I support. Yeah, yeah, anything that gets part. those folks upset or gets them all like worked up about something else, silly, whatever the new outrage of the day is, I always support that. So shout out to Phoebe Bridger. Uh, we'll do a quick mailbag question this week, and then we will do our Spotify, and we'll say goodbye for the week. Let's get my voice back before next week. Uh, all right, Kevin, in a Groundhog Day-style situation, mm. what city or location would you choose to wake up in repeating the same day forever? Mm. It's a tough question. It's a tough question. No, I mean, I have to be here. Those are all my people are. Right. 
But, like, if you could do all your people, but, like, that one day was, like, you camping in Inlet with your brother and family, wouldn't that be a better day to wake up on every single day? Yeah, that's fair. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I kind of counts as here for me in my head. Right. We could drive up there in the morning. <laughs> right. You know I guess I mean? you're right. Um, I guess the idea, if I woke up every morning and I had fallen asleep on the dock at the Inlet... And it was yeah, mosquito bites. That's, I, guess that's <laughs> I guess romantically you wouldn't want that. Yeah, romantically it sounds cool. You wouldn't want that. Romantically. Yeah, mosquitoes. I mean, yeah, probably some like vacation I was on, maybe like yeah. some like nice day of a vacation with my family or my friends or something. Oh, it, honestly, it would probably just be like some day when you were a little kid and had a yeah. really kick ass day with your whole family yeah. and like you know all that. As an adult, it's tough because you you, know, you 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 think about it adult eyes, you'd be like, well, what's what's a really great thing I'd want to experience all the time? Because like you're like, oh, like. I'm going to Bonnaroo. You know, I don't want to wake up at Bonnaroo every day for the rest yeah. of the day. It'd be terrible. It'd be terrible after like 10 minutes, right? Uh, so, you know, yeah, I wonder where your head's at for those kind of things. Mm. All right, let's do uh, Spotify and get out of here. Uh, Kev, I have two songs I'm going to highlight this week, and both for the same reason. Uh, I heard the song uh, Kim and Jesse by the band M83, mm. and I heard the song Heaven by the Walkman. And both of those songs during this week when I was listening to them, I was like, man, these songs are amazing. Mm. Like, I forgot how much I love The Walkman and M83. And every time I listen to these bands, I do this game where I'll listen to one song and I'm like, oh yeah, this band. And then for like 45 minutes, I'm like, is this my favorite band? Is this the greatest band I've ever heard? Mm. And then I'll forget The Walkman existed for like, like oh, three I'm, months. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I think that the Walkman and M83 are two big-time bands that do this to me, where I listen to them, I'm like, why don't I listen to this band more? Mm. And then I will not listen to them anymore, and I'll just come back around them in some random time later on. Yeah, I think that's all, I think that's all the bands are for me, for the most part. I'm yeah, going, I guess that's cycles fair. and phases. Uh, any songs you want to highlight here this week, Kev, before we yeah, close out? Yeah, sure, let me take a look here. Um, I mentioned the DMX one earlier, so that's the DMX one. Um... I'm put on The Power of Equality by the mm. Red Chili Peppers. Yeah. This is the first song off the album Blood Sugar Hell Sex yeah. Magic. I heard a pretty good Red Hot Chili Peppers song somewhere, and it reminded me of how much, like, as somebody who grew up as a bass player, and, like, Chili Peppers always a band that my metal friends and my punk friends and everybody could, like, get on the same page with. Um, I love that song. Mm -hmm. It's a great song. Mm -hmm. a great album, so I put that on there. Um, and then, what other one was I going to do? Another Out of Order... I heard, so I put this Paul McCartney song in there because Paul McCartney got a bunch of, like, he's got a new album or whatever. Really? And one of them's got a remix done by Ed O'Brien from Radiohead. Mm -hmm. And this one has got, like, Beck on the track. And it's just like Paul McCartney making, like, weird, like, I, I don't know how much effect the other people have, but it's crazy to hear Paul McCartney still making, like, weird experimental music this late in his life. So I threw that on there because it's a cool listen, crazy to look at. You know how I feel about McCartney. What I appreciate about McCartney is mm -hmm. a lot of times over his career, he's willing to get into, like, a project where he's not the guy, right? Yeah. I look at, like, a band like, uh, there's, like, a, The Fireman, which is a duo he was in. And, like, he's singing, but like, he's not writing any of that music. And that's, like, a thing he wanted to do because he liked this guy, this DJ that he was working with. And, like, let's do a thing together. Mm. And, like, it exists. It's not really particularly famous. And he's not, I don't know how much of it he's writing. But, like, he just wanted to be involved in something different. And I respect it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so. All right, there we go. That's it. Sayonara, humanoids. Oh, yeah, Heather will be back next week, I hope. She said yeah. she was going to be back next week. So, mm -hmm. if she's not, just get on Twitter and hassle her about coming back on the show and how excited you are that she's coming back. Thanks again to Chris Mandry. Uh, follow him on all the places we said you could follow him on his interview. Go back to mm -hmm. listen to it. Um, 
That's it. Designer are humanoids. Uh, keep it tight. Woodstock lives. Uh, tape machines are rolling. We are desperately, desperately out of time. We'll see you next week for another episode of the Unicast. Take care, folks. Be safe. Uh, yeah. Bye-bye. Thank you.